Today, as we continue our series on David, a man after God's own heart, yes, our aim is still to learn what it takes to become a man or woman whose heart is after God's heart. So we not only study the life of David, but we understand the secret of this quality, the godliness is not just outward, external things, but in his heart. Today's study is quite surprising to me to begin with. Uh, as you see Saul's jealousy, the question that as I was digging into the study for myself was this, who me? Envious? And jealous, like many of you, I think of myself as I'm not the jealous type. I don't have a problem with envy or jealousy. But as we look into today's story, in the light of context of biblical wisdom, what I find is that most of us are in denial because other than pride, the second most dangerous sin that comes into every human being's heart it is envy and jealousy. One of the authors by the name of Jerry Bridges wrote a book on respectable sins, the sins that society even Christian community makes it respectable enough for us to say, you know, what sin do you struggle with? Oh, I am very prideful. In a way that society encourages the sense of strong self, that you know who you are, and you know what you want. You are not wishy-washy. In a similar way, envy and jealousy are encouraged in a way that even a commercial way. You know, there are a lot of brand names. It's a by the name of Envy, clothing, massage. Oh, I, I Googled some things and it kind of strange things were, you know, a perfume. So many of us are coming to terms with anger or lust. Those are some of the seven deadly sins. But when it comes to envy and jealousy, I go, who me? Envious and jealous? Not me. So I pray that today's message will open up your heart and be honest with God and with your own self. Because as you see, James chapter 3, verse 16 says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Which means, even in Christian community, even in our church, where does a divisive spirit comes in? Where is a division? Where is a fights and quarrels? When there is envy and jealousy. And by the way, I'm going to use those two terms interchangeably. 
So if you look at it, and technically speaking, Andy is two people. Some of the experts will say, and the jealousy is usually three people relationally. But yeah, think about even the general public being wanted, one that favor of general public. That could be a third factor as well. As well. So envy and jealousy and covetousness is all similar thing. But one thing is for sure, it's very subtle. That's why most of us don't even know we are infected by envy or jealousy. Just give you a kind of reality check. Some of you, when you check your Facebook or Instagram, some days are really you're bothersome, right? Including me. Because they're having best meals and best vacation. Like, you're just disturbed. <laughs> That's star of envy and jealousy. And we do the same thing when we go to the nice restaurant. We take a picture and put it up. When our kids win something, oh, of course we'll. So I'm notorious about Soren's picture being loaded. I actually want it rather than Kate. So notice this before we go into the text itself. Os Guinness, one of the authors again, writes this. Traditionally, envy was regarded as the second worst and second most prevalent of the seven deadly sins. Like pride, it is a sin of the spirit, not of the flesh, and thus a cold and highly respectable sin. In contrast to the warm and openly disreputable sins of the flesh, such as gluttony, its uniqueness lies in the fact that it is the one vice that its perpetrators never enjoy and rarely confess. On the surface today, you will see David as a victim of Saul's jealousy. But and yet, pay close attention to the text and story. The number one victim of all that, who's affected most negatively, is Saul himself. Our story picks up from last study of David's triumph over Goliath, nine feet tall giant. And as a teenager, high teen, coming to defeat the enemy, he instantaneously became national hero. The sin picks up when they are coming back. From the battle scene. There are three things. That I'm going to lay out. As a context. The first word comes as a, maybe a trigger point. What do I mean by that? The Israelites woman's victory song. For Saul. And David. And you could picture that. People coming out into the street. Verse 6. As they were coming home. 
when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul. And with tambourine and with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the woman sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. What's wrong with this song? It seems naive and celebratory, right? But Israel have experienced victory like this, even bigger one. If you remember Exodus study, crossing over the Red Sea. And as they're watching the Egyptian chariots, mighty army going down to the sea when God covered them with the ocean water and closing down. And they sang many of these uh, similar songs. But there is a difference. Their song is focused on God's work, the Lord's glory. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. There is no mention of Moses at all here. And if you go down at verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. And you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And so on. So two things about this song that is wrong. First, their praise was to men, to Saul and David, not to God. Secondly, because of the focus on men, the song was comparing Saul's success with David's success. What's one thing that we need to know? Envy and jealousy comes, becomes the beginning point of all that. The entrance to that is comparison. This is why we ought not to compare our spouses, anyone. So-and-so cooks better than this, or so-and-so is much more gentle. You know, why can't you be like him? Or even to our kids. It's damaging. Even if we don't do that to others, our insecure soul graveled onto the comparative spirit, which is deadly. What if woman praised God? The God of Israel and the Lord of our King Saul and the, the mighty warrior of God 
whom David serves. Won the victory. Okay, let's go down a little bit, maybe more realistic. So they're singing the song, focused on men. What if they sang, Hooray to the king Saul and his mighty warrior, David, who served under him. That could have been better. But whatever they sang, it became a trigger point. Saul became so angry. And his tormented spirit is because of this anger that derives from his jealousy and envy. Verse 8 picks it up. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David 10,000. And to me, they have ascribed 1,000. And what more can he have? But the kingdom. And Saul eyed David from that from the, that day on. You see, jealousy is not only comparing ourselves with others, and jealousy has a resentment of others' success or others' position, others' good qualities. Thinking that self-entitlement is there. I should deserve, deserve that rather than him, rather than her. And that within that uh, resentment, there is a growing anger. So that's why this spreads other things. Other sins. Jealous person can be vicious. Jealous person can be angry to a point that he or she loses typical mind. The personality changes, goes crazy, in other words. And um, that, that was what's happening to King Saul. But I want us to notice that King Saul had insecurity. Because chapter 15, we heard the story about him disobeying God and the specific command of God and the prophet Samuel. And the Samuel's declaration to him because you have rejected the Lord, the Lord has rejected you. And that was the moment the Holy Spirit left him. And as Saul, shepherd boy Saul, was anointed, Holy Spirit came upon David. So he knew some, even though he, he became a, a king as a humble man, for 40 years, this ego, in other words, a self-centeredness, uh, cultivated in his heart. So he began to keep a jealous eye on him.
Thirdly, a kindred spirit. Verse 1 through 6, we skipped it today, uh, today's reading. The entire chap, uh, text is ch- chapter 18. And there is a reason why. Jonathan's friendship for David is extraordinary. And this is a wonderful example to follow. And a re- totally, radically different direction on how to respond to someone's success. If, if anything, Jonathan had reasons, strong reasons, because he was the heir, heir. Reason to be jealous, reason to be envious about David getting attention. So in, in some sense, I want to save this. Although the cure or the real answer for jealousy is in, in, in Jonathan's response. So let me just say, his heart, Jonathan's heart, was knit with um, David's heart. It's it's sovereign work of the Spirit as well in that. And he actually, wait a minute, he saw David as a deliverer for Israel and Lord's chosen, then I don't have to be king. And he does awesome things. Not only make covenants. And another thing is this true love. And I think we're living in a homophobic world. That between man and between woman. This kind of love is rare. It's always uh, in some sense always portrayed as a sexual, romantic love is most gloriously beautiful love. You know, David's love for him, I mean, King Jonathan's love for him, and also David for love for him and, and mutuality as well. But even more so, even when they're saying goodbye, Jonathan cries more. Actually, David cries more because of appreciation and his sacrifice. And did you notice this? Jonathan loved David as his own soul. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. But this is for our next study. So this gets really... I, I can't wait to a point that I kind of want to uh, you know, go to this message right away. But we have an anniversary Sunday, so following anniversary Sunday we have. All right. Now the question that we are asking is, what are the events resulting from Saul's jealousy of David? There are three plots that he unintentionally and intentionally, growingly more intentionally, does. Plot number one is a throwing the spear to pin David to the wall. And this is a, I think, picture of a crazy man. And I, I was asking my wife, uh, she was a, 
English major. So, do you think that Shakespeare got the idea for Hamnet out of this? It's, it sounds very, very psychotic and like a craziness of Hamnet, and all those th- things are there. Verse 10. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And he did as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. See, Saul's jealousy was triggered by the woman's song, but actually, even before that, his insecurity, his wounded ego was there. And we need to be careful about our own insecurity as well. What is this insecurity? The Lord's favor left me. This is not insecurity and I'm not performing well. This is the insecurity that whenever I went into the battle, whenever I faced the trials, and whenever I led my nation, the Lord's nation, the favor of the Lord was on me. It is no longer like that. So what's our insecurity? You might not lead anything like that. You don't lead a company. You don't lead any. Maybe the only thing you lead is your home, your, your children. But the insecurity could be the same because the Lord's favor has left me. Why? You feel just distant. There's a floating anxiety of God is not with you. Maybe some false guilt, but true guilt as well. That you neglected God. Your relationship with God is not what it ought to be, what it used to be. So I say this. Envy and jealousy, these subtle sins are rooted in spiritual problem. When we even have a psychosomatic symptoms, we ought to realize it's not only psychological that we need to see a counselor or therapy. Yes, those are much needed. I'm not denying that. But foundationally, we ought to look at our heart and ask spiritual question. How's my heart toward God? Is God with me? Why is it that I feel so distant from Him? How do I return to God? See, merciful, graceful God beckons on our repentance. Even today, this morning, you don't have to earn His credit, approval. You could come to Him. And the Lord is saying, Come by gold and silver and food and drink with me. Grace. 
So as we are understanding the danger of envy and jealousy, one of the verses that we should remember is Proverbs 14, verse 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. King Saul was disturbed to a point that he needed a music therapy. Or it began when he realized that God rejected him. But now that his jealousy comes in, what's this harmful spirit? There are several views into that. Obviously, what is not is clear. God is never evil, never initiates, never does anything unholy. So God does not send evil thing to him. But God is sovereign. Anything that happening, even the wicked things, God is under control. It's permissible will of God. For example, God used Judas, Judas Iscariot. His betrayal for his own sovereign plan of the cross. So in that sense, we could say permissible will of God, but definitely some kind of an evil spirit. But, and yet I realize that ESV translates it harmful, and the word study on that is renders not an evil and bad spirit, it is disturbing, annoying, or a harmful spirit. So one of the commentators, I haven't decided my mind yet, but I'm open to this. When, when we sin, one of the uh, consequences of our stubborn, willful sin, God gave us over to that sin. So they're saying basically, what is the punishment for envy or jealousy? More envy. More jealousy. That you are so disturbed and you are tormented by your own envy and jealousy. Or it could be a spirit, evil spirit doing it in that sense. Whatever the problem was. A difficult passage. Whatever the interpretation might be. What's clear is that Growingly, increasingly, envy and jealous, jealousy possessed King Saul. King Saul thought that he would have some problem. That little problem went over his head now. So think about raving is a rambling. It's almost another word could be a prophesying. So. Uh, is he prophesying here? No. He's rambling, losing his mind in a way. Because of that, the mindset, the emotionally insecure set, in unstable setting, his natural uh, intention came out. He could have hid it, hid it, right? But he threw it, felt like he's just I could pin him down. Until then, David never knew 
that it was dangerous to, to be near him. So he gets the idea. And it gets closer and stronger. The volume gets louder. Plot number two. Using his elder daughter, Mirab, to send David to the battlefields, verse 12 through 19. It it goes like this. Insecurity about his um, awareness of the Lord's favor left him. Verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he, he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Mirab. I will give her to you for a wife. Wait a minute, let's hold that. Remember the reward he put up? Anyone who fights Goliath and wins, I will give wealth to him. I'll make him rich. And I'll give you my daughter. So actually, technically speaking, David could claim it and, and didn't have to do this. But as if this is a new thing come out, he said, uh, I'll give you my daughter. Another, another thing before we go on. When you are obsessed with jealousy and envy, you lose your mind. Obviously, Saul was not this kind of Saul all the time. Maybe he is a loving dad and caring for his daughters. Now, his daughters become a tool, a means to get to David. And he says, only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I? And who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should, should have been given to David, he, she was given to Adriel, the Meholathite, for a wife. David, in response, a, a true humility. He not only didn't think that he deserved the reward, he really thought that he's not qualified to be a royal family. Oh, by the way, when you win that kind of war, became a war hero, national hero coming back, and you're, you remember that you are anointed, and you probably think that, oh, now is the time that I become a king. Remember? This is the beginning of his suffering because of Saul's jealousy. 
For 10 years, he had to flee from Saul and Saul's army. At first, it was an uncalculated, spontaneous, driven spear throwing. He probably regretted big time because I, I showed my cars. I should have been really nice to him. And when he doesn't have any sense of what's coming up, and I could have killed him. And now that he, he knows, and then he begins to be aware of Lord's presence with him, he not only felt jealous, angry, but in it, he was fearful as well. And because of this fear, he moved him to a battlefield. And just to make sure that he stays there, he says, uh, I'll give you my daughter. I, he didn't even keep the promise on here. Now, plot number three. Oh, remember this, that as we are remembering these the bits of wisdom about what jealousy and uh, envy look like in our ordinary life, we need to be aware of these uh, wisdom so we will face up to it. Proverbs 27, verse 4 Wrath is cruel, uh, anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? This is really such a descriptive sentence for what Saul's doing right now. But let's be aware that it could be happening to our hearts. Plot number three is using his younger daughter, Michael, to have David risk his life. <clears throat> notice the progression and notice that it's getting worse and worse and more intense. Verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And they, they told Saul and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Jumping to verse 25. Then Saul said, basically what, they're too, too long, a whole chapter. So the summary of that is, David is, ah, I can't marry him. Because basically, in order to marry a royal family, you need to bring prize price, which means a lot of wealth. I'm poor. What am I? And then verse 25. And then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except a, a hundred foreskins of the Philistine, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of Philistines. Not only sending to, to the battlefield, now it's a specific demand. Bring me hundred foreskins, the lives of the Philistine army. 
What, what's the foreskin? Because they were uncircumcised. So they, if you bring the uncircumcised foreskin, that it is a proof that is a Philistine fell by the sword of David and his men. Verse 27, David arose and went along with him, along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, finally gave it, Michael, poor Michael, because he, she really loved him, right, for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Wow. It, it, it is almost like the, the cart is going downhill and there is no way you could stop it. And it gets faster and faster and crashes going to happen. That's the danger. The power of jealousy and envy. And now Paul and Saul did not have envy and jealousy. Envy and jealousy had Saul. Completely enslaved him. So we too need to look at the subtle sins that we, kind of even daily languages that we use as a respectable sin. Uh, when we even comment on the post, oh, I am so envious of you. How, how, how jealous I, I am looking at those pictures. And even write that. It's okay to, to do that in our culture. But even those things, when we do not realize, grow so strongly and it possesses us. Do you, do you, do you tend to be argumentative, fight? Do your friends sometimes tell you, what's wrong with you these days? You, you become so agitated. Or could it be pride? Yes. In relational context, envy and, and, envy and jealousy and strife always come together. People of God. Our God is holy. Not because we want a kind of stainless life, perfect life like Pharisees externally. But inside out that we want to clean our heart, that we stand before God. That we are recognized like a little Christ, resembling of God the Father, because our desire has to be the freedom from all sins, especially these subtle sins in our heart, that we could carry along for a long time until it explodes somewhere. 
And even with our, our church, I pray that we will deal with these sins in our hearts. Honestly, humbly, before it becomes a divisive spirit, before we strive, we bring it as a strife with one another, before we say those nasty things about, I don't like about this, I don't like this about you, why can't you be like me? It all comes from that. Proverbs 6.34 now. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. So now we are aware of our jealousy and envy, I hope. And what's the cure? The cure is actually looking at Jonathan, not looking at Saul. The cure is actually looking at the bottom of our heart, not the outside of the cups in our external life. Cure is not trying to be smart in terms of being courteous, uh, kind on the outside. In our languages, we become very good manner. Cure is cleaning up our heart. That's part of spiritual battle. But I want you to know that as your pastor, my confession is, it's not easy. I want to be humble. Believe me. But how I get in trouble? Because of my pride, because of my envy, because of my jealousy in some sense. And and even, you know, religious way, the, I want our church to be more unique in a way. Although those are envy and strife. I realize I need to confess. The things that I, I feel bothered about, certain spiritual leaders, certain mega churches, I should be free from that. Why does that bother me? So as I'm confessing these things, I want us to realize that it is beyond our power. It's not self-effort. That's why God's training is necessary. God's severe mercy is necessary. Have you read this book? A Tale of Three Kings. I would recommend it. It's a very thin book. A very, I mean, you, some of you fast readers, you could read it in a few minutes. But well done. Well done. Because it's very insightful. There's not all, everything is perfectly good or anything, but because it, usually the creativity of extra material that he puts in a very dramatic way of his explaining. The three kings are King Saul and King David and King Absalom. The first, first son of the eldest son of King David and troublesome relationship there. Couple of insights that I want to share. And for page six, I came to this and I say, wow. This is the moment 
that David was anointed by Samuel. And then he writes his comment. Quite a day for a young man, wouldn't you say? Then do you find it strange that his remarkable event, this remarkable event, led the young David, young man, not to the throne, but to a decade of hellish agony and suffering. On that day, David was enrolled not into the lineage of royalty, but into the school of brokenness. Same, same thing with Moses. Forty years of desert. Rambunctious, flamboyant, prideful Moses who thought he was the deliverer of his people ran away and spent in solitude for 40 years of being a mere shepherd. And when God called him, yeah, of course, his reluctance is there, but true humility came out. I cannot do this. I'm not the man. Please send someone else. When that humility came out, brokenness, God recognized him as, you're ready. John the Baptist, when a, a lot of people used to come to him after Jesus, when he baptized him, he baptized Jesus, and John, John the Baptist's disciples came to him. Teacher, everyone is going to him. What shall we do? A little panic, insecure. And John the Baptist's confession and calm declaration is, he must increase and I must decrease. Even Apostle Paul, when he was imprisoned, there are people who are sharing the gospel with good motive, and then there are people who are evil people, Christians who are sharing. Now that Paul's in prison, this is our time to shine. And he goes, whether it's a good motive or wrong motive, the Christ is spread and proclaimed, exalted. And I rejoice. He's not posing. It is true. People, what I'm saying is this. When we experience difficulty, something very thorny and hard in our lives, praise God that you are in training. God is, God is heavy hand is breaking you. Oh, don't, don't, get misun don't misunderstand about stupid sin that you're going over, running to the wall and bleeding all the time and say, well, get God's training. No, it's, that's your stupidity. <laughs> Stop running into wall. But when uncontrollable event happened, your, your son or your, your daughter, your loved ones, your mom and dad or your uncle, when they're going through difficult, very difficult time, financially or health-wise, and know that God is training you. One thought about Edward's uh, insight. 
He goes, do you know why? David didn't revenge. David had a chance to kill King Saul. Twice he didn't do that. The scripture plainly uh, describes as because he feared the Lord that he will not touch the Lord's anointed. Yes, but Edward's insight and internal thought process was this. David saw King Saul in his heart. The real enemy was a Saul in his heart. That he could become just like him. That he wanted to deny that jealous heart, that envious heart, that, that self-reliant heart apart from God. See, Bible is so real to us. It's not a cartoon book. There's a bad guy, always bad, and good guys are always good. And you will see that David here is so humble, and he comes right back instead of going to uh, palace and acting like it, and right back to the daily duty of playing harp, playing, playing liar. Musician only. But, but what we need to realize the freedom for our own soul and for the, the love of others for others we ought to surrender those desires. My time's up. So here are four, uh, three applications that I, I think it's uh, implicated, but I want to make it so clear that we will remember it. Number one, we are to never underestimate the danger of envy and jealousy in our hearts. Deal with it. Get over the denial and confess it. I realize that it's sin is slowly, but and yet suddenly, but and yet surely growing in our hearts. Well, let's be careful not to uh, use other self-defense mechanism to have dealing dealing with it. Humor. Sarcasm. Those things can act like we have dealt with it. Let's be careful. Number two, we are to deal with jealousy at the root level, not just on the outside. In other words, if you are, um, you know, envious of your your neighbor who has a better car now, the solution is not fixing it all. Okay, in order for me to not to feel this envious and jealousy, I'm going to buy the same car. Maybe a little bit upgrade. That's not the solution. Dealing with our heart. What, what's really at the root of our heart? It's self-centeredness. Denying yourself before God and surrendering and then that we cannot deal with this alone and that we really cry out to God have mercy on me 
And as we're doing that, our contentment and our security, we find without price in Christ, those who are satisfied with Christ, will be protected by the Spirit from these vicious feelings that attack us. Number three, we are to humble ourselves before God, waiting until He exalts you at the proper time. This goes on for every single one of us, including me and our church. Just because we strive to follow Christ and the way of the cross, that doesn't mean that we could declare that we're the most important church or that we're the most uh, godly church in some sense. That would be sent oxymoron to becoming a prideful church that acts like a Christ church. What we are to do is we be faithful in what we are doing in your own training ground maybe you are not recognized maybe in your in your finance you're still struggling maybe in your fight in your marriage in your parenting it's still ongoing difficulty is there as you're becoming persevering in that and you humble yourself wait until the lord lifts you up 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Sovereign hand of God. And that he will exalt you in the proper time. Not my time. Proper time. What will you remember? How does, how has the Lord spoken to your heart. Now my prayer is this. That we will at least face it. So these things that we cannot. Like uh, face right away. And avoid. We evade that a lot. Uh, that's why we need a time of solitude and silence. Extended period of time. The Lord will take your attention to those things. And before the Lord, you have safety, mercy. And my prayer for those of you who are still guilt-ridden and you, you seem like the insecurity, spiritually speaking, get together with God. And say, I will not get up from this seat until you meet with me today. I will confess all the sins that you would pro, uh, provoke me to. Reveal to me. Search my heart. And as you are finding that security and contentment in the Lord, that you will begin to see those feelings, the vicious, envious, jealous feeling, including anger, will subside control of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray that that we will be the people who drink from you, who run to you, 
security and contentment and satisfaction. So that as we are looking around the worldly things and worldly desires, and the people who succeed by any means, treat smart way, that we will not become tempted and envious. And as long as you know our hearts and you recognize us, we know for sure that we will be satisfied. Our church belongs to you. Each one of us belongs to you. May your glory supremely reign over us today, in the coming week, and all throughout 2017. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.